For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome and welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. And those of you who've been listening for a while to any or many of our Game Changer series know that if I say welcome and welcome, I have two guests. If I say welcome, welcome, it's three, and you can do the math for the rest. And we have two featured speakers today. And let's get started. The buzz on the street. We've got the power. No, I'm not going to sing. We've got the power. Now, let's get started. Literally, growing up alongside each other, Millennials and Technology, powerful, dynamic duo. They now stand together as a single, very powerful entity. Think about that. Millennials cut their teeth on technology. It's who they are. It's what they do. It's how they live. They get it. People like me, I'm a boomer, and every generation in between, they are, we are, we had to learn it, but millennials grew up on it. So, this new business reality is impacting companies like those listening to us today who want to win the hearts, the minds, the wallets, uh-huh, and the loyalty of this young consumer demographic. They're actually not that young anymore, believe it or not. We'll talk about that in a while. So let's look at what you're doing. Are your current selling and marketing strategies still working in the world of millennials? Current meaning traditional, same old, same old, what you designed three, five, ten years ago. Hmm, maybe not. If not, you have to become tech savvy fast right now, this very second. Why? You need to understand the roles that mobile and social play in building customer relationships, in delivering superior customer service, superior customer experiences, and the bottom line, that all leads to sales growth and the numbers just go and go and go up. We have two panelists, as I mentioned. They are both I think they're both millennials. Maybe we call them millennia. No, I think that means something else. And uh, let me welcome, they've both been on the series before. Let me welcome our first panelist. He is Avi Solomon, Director of Sales at UnbeatableSales.com. That sounds like a millennial mantra. We're unbeatable. And Avi has sent me a quote from the 1994 film Shawshank Redemption uh, from the character that Tim Robbins played. And the character is Andy Dufresne, D-U-F-R-E. S-N-E, and here is the quote. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. Avi Solomon, welcome back. Hey, Bonnie. How are you? I'm very fine, thank you. Delighted to have you back again. Are you a big fan of Shawshank and Tim Robbins? You know, anything that's on the top ten best movies, you have to watch. Just a personal belief of mine. 
Oh, wait a minute. Who's top 10? The millennials top 10 or I'm a boomer? The boomers top 10? Which top or the top 10 forever since I, the beginning I, of I film was, I think at least, you know, if it's not the millennial, it's at least top 10. Um, if it's not at least forever, it's at least the top 10 for the millennials, I think. Okay. Well, thank you very much. So... Tell me something. Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, was one of two imprisoned men who bonded over a number of years, finding comfort and eventual redemption through acts of common decency, which is uh, a very interesting way that they put it on Wikipedia. So what does this quote mean to our topic today, Millennials and Technology? Well, you know, the quote in its general sense, I think it, it, it has a powerful message for anyone in any situation, which is that if a person finds themselves down and out and feeling, you know, like, you know, they just got the bad roll of the dice or whatever it is, then so get busy living or get busy dying. Don't self-pity yourself. Don't tell yourself, what was me? Instead, pick yourself up and take actions that will hopefully get you out of your situation and in better your life. And that's empowerment in itself. So that's its overall theme. But when it comes to business, I, I also think that that message is very, very applicable, um, but in a little bit of a different sense more so, which is that uh, a business, there's no such thing today as being stagnant. There's no such thing mm-hmm. as a company just staying where it is and staying comfortable. If you're not constantly looking to raise the bar find new ways of innovation and ways of reaching customers and growing your business, you are not going to, you are then by default going to eventually shrink and go into, you know, a place where a company doesn't want to go, which is usually out of existence. Or if you're a high-end company or uh, a very big company, you'll greatly reduce in size if you're not get busy living, meaning that you're constantly looking to expand and raise the bar um, and, and keep up with the, the trends. Thank you, Avi. Very, very interesting. Do you think that companies that are started by millennials, and, and we're going to talk later on with you and your co-panelist, uh, jo- Jonah Manning, who's waiting patiently in the wings to be introduced, we're going to talk about the fact that millennials aren't just people with the money to buy the things. They are the ones producing, manufacturing, selling, promoting the things to everybody else. So do you think that companies started by and or run by managed by, guided by millennials, get this principle right from the get-go, Avi, and or companies run by, let's just politely say, people from older demographic cohorts who are, have a little more, little, a few more rings around the tree trunk, if you will, have been around longer. It's hard for them to understand this. What do you think? You know, I think it's, that's an interesting question. And I think that millennials by nature get it more almost by default because, as you said, they're so into technology already that it's, it comes more natural for them. But I think anyone who might be an older business person just having a really good business sense, um, you know, also gets it just because they understand how to do business and they understand that you have to constantly grow, otherwise you're not going to just remain where you are. But the, the one point I will say where millennials get it better is in the marketing. And today, mm-hmm. marketing is so much different than it was even 10 years ago. But re- 10 years ago, 20 years ago, marketing today is so drastically different. Um, and I think that that's where millennials really get it more than some of the you know, baby boomer owners. Um, so that's what I would think. 
Thank you very much. And just a little side note on the uh, Shawshank Redemption. I found out when I was researching it, Avi, that Stephen King wrote the short story, Rita Hayworth in Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you know that, but that's where it originally came from. And Frank Darabont wrote the screenplay based on that short story, and he was also, I believe, the director. So little backstory there. And uh, Tim Robbins was accompanied in the movie by the inimitable Morgan Freeman as Red. So there, little little background about a movie that I still have yet to see, but I will, I promise. And now let me bring on our very patient other panelist. It's Jonah Manning, CEO and founder of People Ops Consulting. Jonah has sent a quote from somebody who I'm, with whom I'm familiar. It's Gary V. Uh, that's his familiar name. It's Gary Vaynerchuk, V-A-Y-N-E-R-C-H-U-K. Gary Vaynerchuk, well, if you don't know who he is, you should. He's an entrepreneur, an investor, an author, an internet personality, but how did he get famous? How did he make a name for himself? He transformed his dad's New Jersey liquor store into something called the Wine Library. And in 2006, when social media was just a gleam in somebody's eye, just in its naissance, he started a video blog, aka a daily internet webcast called Wine Library TV. Soared the business put Gary Vaynerchuk into the a leadership role as one of the movement of social media. I know this because I studied back in that day. I studied in something called the Social Media Success uh, Social Media Success Seminar Summit. That was it. It was a summit that was sponsored by Michael Stelsner, who was also another leader in the growth of social media. And Gary Vee was one of his featured teachers. Now, here is the quote that Jonah has selected. Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I want to do every day for the rest of my life? Do that. Jonah Manning, welcome back. How are you, Jonah? Good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Delighted that you could join us. You and Avi together talk about, well, we're talking about a powerful duo of millennials and technology, and I think we've got a power duo here. Our dynamic duo is Avi Solomon and Jonah Manning. So there, I hope that makes you feel doubly welcome. Tell me, Jonah, do you follow Gary Vee? Are you a big fan, or did this quote just pop out of nowhere for you? No, I definitely, I I tend to agree with uh, his point of view in terms of how marketing uh, should run, uh, and, and a lot of the ways that, that they go about it in terms of really driving context and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, agree for the most part with, with, uh, both him and VaynerMedia stance. So tell me something, how does this relate to millennials and technology? What do you want to do every day for the rest of your life? Do that. Is it that simple? Does it change? Does it morph and grow as millennials mature? What do you? What's your point of view personally? I think there's so much opportunity right now because of technology, for the most part, that if you have a passion, it it really almost doesn't matter what that passion is. You can likely build a business around it. I read an article just the other day about a mailman who was into climbing and he created a, a great little business around, I guess they're, they're called ballet glasses or like specialized glasses for climbing. And hmm. he, I mean, he didn't become a millionaire, but he replaced his income. And now he's full-time selling ballet glasses all over the world out of his, you know, out of his house in the Pacific Northwest. So yep. there's it's, it's millions, ballet, millions B-E-L-A-Y. 
B-E-L-A-Y yep. is the name of the glasses. Belay Specs, Belay Glasses for Rock Climbing. And if you want to learn more, and that's what we're all about, it's B-E-L-A-Y-S-P-E-C-S dot com. Prismatic Belay Glasses used by rock climbers for increased comfort. Thank you for that reference. Very interesting. Thank you, Jonah. Jonah, I'm going to uh, circle back to Avi and give you both just a second to think about what are you planning to drink after the show? Do you have anything really interesting in your cup today? Where are you calling from? So all of the above. Let's turn to Avi Solomon. Where are you? What are you drinking? What do you love to drink? Uh, I'm trying to drink, as I said before, I think in the last show, I'm trying to get off soda and drink more water. Um, you know, right now I'm just doing really, really focusing on losing weight. And even though, like I said last time, I'm not overweight, but, um, you know, water has much less calories than soda. No kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I was going to ask if you needed a pair of Belay specs to to find that out. What's your favorite soda, Avi? Come on, if you're you're a a, a diehard soda drinker, uh, what's your favorite? What do you like when I, you're not being so good? I I, I think it's Coca Cola, without a doubt. Wow. And and do you come on? Do you drink it out of a bottle, out of a can? How how old fashioned are you about that? You know, I I like drinking it out of a can. You know, when I'm very, very rebellious, I guess I drink it out of a bottle, but usually <laughs> just a soda can. Tell me something. Do you drink the regular full, full, full Monty, full, full face on Coke, or or the cherry Coke, or the diet Coke, or just real Coke? I'll, I'll actually Coke. tell you a little um, secret that's not so well known, which is that um, a lot of people. You know, I always find fascinating you go to these fast food joints and someone is ordering a, a hamburger and fries and then a diet soda um but actually there's from what i heard on one study there makes really very little difference because because soda tastes almost similar your body when you drink diet soda it thinks it's um it, it produces insulin because it thinks it's intaking sugar so i, I yeah. take uh, pleasure in not feeling guilty about drinking regular coke when i do drink soda <laughs> wow, you really did your homework on that one. Thank you, Avi, to all of you soda drinkers out there. We used to have the soda man and the milk man and the bakery man delivered to the house. Talk about retro, Avi, when I was growing up. So my parents arranged for all of these services to come every week and deliver right to the back porch. We had Dugan Bakery, delivered cupcakes and cakes. What do we know about sugar? What do we know about carbs in those days? I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but you can figure it out. We had cases of soda, at big, big bottles, little bottles, every kind of bottles you can imagine delivered by the case, in a, in a wooden case with the, the six-packs inside, and we had the milkman come with milk products, maybe eggs and cream, I don't remember. But I do remember having a ready supply of Coke in bottles, and I loved it. I loved it. And you know what, Avi? I have a six-pack of Coca-Cola here in my kitchen as a relic. It's been here for years. I haven't opened it. I just like to look at it. That's how I control myself. So, Avi, thank you for the memories. Jonah Manning, where are you? What are you drinking today? I'm calling in again from my uh, office here in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm uh, I'm prepping for a convention in Vegas uh, starting at the end of this week, and so I'm hydrating as much as possible. And unlike Avi, I, I have a hard time drinking a lot of water, so um, I I'm doing the uh, the Vita Cocoa coconut water, um, mm. which which is a, a nice little nice little take on it. I, I do the one with the pineapple in it. I I can't really do the straight up coconut water it's a little that's a little rough but uh, the one with pineapple is uh pretty good 
I'm glad. I'm looking at Vita Coco Coconut Water. Yes, yes, yes. Vita yep. Coco, V-I-T-A-C-O-C-O dot com. And, uh, yeah, they have lots of different flavors. Oh, that's right. That's in the, it's uh, kind of a, a wax container. It looks like a paper yep, container. Exactly. Yeah, very, very pretty. I see the one with pineapple here. Vita, V-I-T-A, Vita, yes. Uh, we used to have a Walbams. I guess you know Walbams and Pathmark and all of their associated uh, supermarket brands went bankrupt finally again and again and again, and they're out here in New York. And Walbams used to carry a, I don't remember the name, but it was an, a lesser-known brand of coconut water for a fraction of the price. And they considered mm-hmm. it. Not to be a beverage in the beverage aisle, they put it in the produce aisle. So when I'd go shopping for oranges and pears and grapes and lettuce, I would find a display with this other brand of coconut. It was called Healthy Living or Life Sense or something like that. And it was a brand, I don't know who else carried it, but Walbaums had major displays of this stuff. And I used to buy it for like a buck a bottle. And it was quite wow. amazing. I, I, I bought it for a friend. I didn't drink it. I'm not that healthy. I'm not that good. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, if I ever find where it is, I'll let you know. I don't know what it tasted like. So thank you very much, Avi and Jonah. We have just two on the panel because they are powerful. They are millen- You're both millennials, correct, Avi? Yes? I, I'm pretty sure I'm a millennial. I was born in 1983. So when we were jumping into the 21st century, I was around 18 years old. So I think I'm a millennial. Okay, I'm going to look that up. And Jonah, you are a self-proclaimed millennial, right? Yep, I think Avi and I are right around the same age. So it should either we are or we aren't. <laughs> okay, let's see. I'm looking up for the. There are 92 million millennials, uh, 61 million Gen X, and I'm in the Boomers. Uh, 77 million of us. So we are next to you in size. That's pretty good to know. And let's see, you were born between 1981 and 1996. You in there? Yep. Yep. Okay. Then you're both millennials, and that's why you're here. Our topic today is ready or not, millennials and technology are revolutionizing business, and we're happy to say that we have two active tweeters joining us today, Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba, who is uh, the sponsor of this series. Jeannie is back for season two. We're delighted and thrilled, and Jeannie introduced me to Avi Solomon and Jonah Manning. Happy to meet both of you again and welcome you back. And also we have Gail, who is tweeting at GailDB, and Gail has uh, been on board with us helping to promote these shows, too. So happy to see you both. We're tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. Please join us. We have a lot more to talk about with Avi Solomon at UnbeatableSales.com and Jonah Manning at People Ops Consulting. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, the older one on the panel, and I plan to continue to stay that way. But I'm going to learn a lot from these two. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources. And they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Network Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. 
Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. And we're back. We have Avi Solomon at UnbeatableSales.com and Jonah Manning at PeopleOps Consulting. And our topic today is ready or not, millennials and technology are revolutionizing your business. Are you ready? Well, we sure hope so. Avi's going to kick off the roundtable with the following very provocative statement. He says, social media is a platform that cannot be ignored in marketing. Every company needs their own department in charge of managing social media image. Ah, haven't heard those words put together before, Avi Solomon. Social media image. So, Avi, why don't you kick us off and tell us more about where we're going with this. Well, you know, the first thing I'm going to mention, and it's the most fascinating fact to me in social media altogether, is that it has the lowest conversion rate in marketing, or at least one of the lowest conversion rates. It's actually, I think Facebook has, even Facebook, which dominates the majority of the conversion rate in social media marketing, it's still less than like, it's like 1% or 2%. I haven't looked at it recently, but it's an extremely low, low conversion rate. And so you would think the logic would be something that has a very low conversion rate, you shouldn't have to put much effort into. It's actually really not true when it comes to social media. Social media is one of these things that it's not about just getting the sale on the spot. It is about preserving the image and creating the image in, in certain circumstances. Um, and when I mean that, it's basically, you know, one of the ways that customers now, especially more than ever, um, try to reach out to companies or vent against companies is with social media. And so let's say, you know, let's not use names. We'll call it Company A, right? Mm-hmm. Company A, if someone's upset with Company A, they might not call the company. They might not even demand a refund. But what they might do is they might post on their Facebook page or the company's Facebook page, I didn't enjoy my service. I didn't enjoy my experience. I wasn't happy with my product. Whatever might be upsetting them. And so if you're not really active in social media and you ignore that post, you basically are allowing someone to really put a bullseye on you without defending yourself. And what companies have to really do is they have to be able to monitor, especially Facebook, especially Twitter, um, but all social media platforms, they really have to have a good handle on monitoring them so that when someone posts something negative, they engage it. They either say, you know, engage the person or engage the post and try and make that person happy and show that they're not just ignoring an unhappy customer. I think one of the reasons social media has a very low conversion rate, and uh, you'll see how this is connected, is because a lot of people, they're going for that kill sale. And when I I say a kill sale, I mean they just automatically want to take an action and get a sale. 
Um, and so what they do is they use something called the news feed on Facebook. I'm just using that as an example. But they'll put money into having either an ad or a tweet or a quote put out there in front of other people that didn't ask for it, that now it all of a sudden comes into their um, to their newsfeed because it was paid for. So And it says on the newsfeed, I think somewhere in small letters, that it's paid ad. And I really think that that's missing the bar because a lot of people, when they read their newsfeed, they know what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. Um, but the real effort in social media has to go toward the image. And that's something, the good news is that's free as far as you really don't have to put that much money into it. Um, but you really do have to put a lot of money in as far as investing into having people in your company internally really dedicate time and effort into managing that image, um, finding whenever someone posts something negative, trying to reconcile that and make that customer happy if possible. And so that's just one aspect of uh, how social media is such a powerful platform uh, in today's uh, millennial generation. Thank you, Avi. I'm going to bring Joan in in just a second, but I have a quick question for you. I think our listeners will appreciate your answer, and of course, Jonah can respond too. Question is, do you need to have a team on board 24-7, meaning, you know, follow the sun, you need somebody working an eight-hour shift, and then somebody else at least checking from their home computer or mobile device to see who has posted something about your company, or can it wait till, quote-unquote, tomorrow? Any thoughts on that quickly, yeah, Avi? Bonnie, that is an excellent question, and the real Thank you. Answer it. The real answer is, ideally, you should have someone on twenty-four-seven call. And the reason is, is because today, while it's an interesting discussion in its own right, how something goes viral, you never know how far something is going to go in a matter of seconds once it's been posted on Facebook or tweeted on Twitter or whatever social media platform it's put out there. So, ideally, a company really should have people on it twenty-four-seven. Practically, that's a little hard, um, especially if you're going to be paying someone hourly or however it works uh, to really say, listen, we're going to pay you just in case someone posts something. So I think really a good suggestion I would have for companies is that each person takes a volunteer, you know, with technology today, you could almost have it as soon as someone posts something, it comes up on your on your mm -hmm. um, smartphone or your tablet, and they should have a rotating uh among people in the social media department or customer service department, um, they should have a rotating hours where if something comes up at you know ten o'clock at night, this person will take care of it. That's ideal and that's a suggestion. Um, but practically, I think a lot of companies do have their downtime where they just let something sit until the next day. Thank you, Jonah Manning. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thoughts, please. Yeah, I think there's. I think we're really kind of talking about two two separate things here. We're talking about you know a term crisis management, social media, customer service, that sort of thing, and then we also talk about social media marketing. So on the customer service side of it, uh, which both they both collide, they're both in the same feed. They just have a different perspective. One is more interacting with existing customers, putting out fires, making sure folks are happy, et cetera, and then marketing is really about getting new users, new customers, right? So on the customer service side. I think it should mirror a lot how your customer service runs. So if you're the type of business that's 24-7 uh, because you're doing consumer transactions all over the world all the time, absolutely, you should have a 24-7 response team. If it's more of a B2B environment where most of the business is done you know, during a, during a Monday through Friday type scenario, you could probably tone that down just a tad. Um, 
on the marketing side, I think the important thing to understand with social media, and this is really true for any size company. So think of social media as a, like a cocktail party. So a lot of companies, so imagine we go to a cocktail party and then Bonnie, you just, and, and, and then you, you just stand up on, a, on one, of the, one of the tables and you just start mm-hmm. yelling at people your website. Just, mm-hmm. just as they walk by, just yell profusely at them your website. It's not going to go real well, right? You're probably going to be asked to leave and things like that. So that's what essentially these, a lot of people are doing with social media. They're, they're jumping on Twitter. They're jumping on Facebook. And they're basically just, you know, just going after their friends and going after anyone that will listen. Here's my website. Buy my product. Do, you know, do this thing. And it's, it's, that is not going to get the result that listening, building context, leaning with content that's relevant, adding value, doing those sort of soft sell approaches, um, out carrying the, the competition, doing those things, those will help in social media. And if you don't do that, it's not, it's not going to work. Interesting. I'm, I have not been known to stand up on a table and scream my website in a long time because I don't drink that much. But I don't know. Maybe Avi gets high on Coke and he would do it for his, Coca-Cola and he would do it for his. Avi, any thoughts? On, yeah, so I, I had to do say, that. I was going to say not to take the debate platform um, for, in politics right now, but can I have a 30 second rebuttal? Um, I like yes. a lot. Of, <laughs> I can have the 30 second rebuttal. Right? You can. Um, I, I like a lot of what Jonah's saying, but I think that the, a few points I, I either differ on or see it a little differently at least which is that customer service is marketing if a company spends millions of dollars on promoting their company and trying to say how great they are and then they upset they don't bother to put that same amount of effort into their customer service so that you you're telling all these people about your com- your company and then all of a sudden you have customers posting online I hate this company you basically wasted all that money because the the shouting out about my company is what's called creating the image. The customer service is then reinforcing that whatever image you're trying to say you are, customer service is supposed to reinforce that. I'm not just telling you, now I'm showing you. Another point that Jonah mentioned, which I think is also important, which is that he's 100% correct. If you take Facebook and you just say, here I am, that's not going to work. No one wants to be shouted. But at the same time, and this is where I think I differ with them a little bit, at the same time, people do want to, if you have a great product, people want to know about it. So you have to, the only way is instead of just shouting, here I am, you have to shout something that will catch their attention, and then they'll listen to you. And there are many, many ways to do that. One of the great ways of doing that nowadays is using contests, doing some type of contest on Facebook or, or, or some social media platform because there are people all of a sudden, oh, a, contra- a contest, I'm interested in that. And then at the same time, they learn about your company. People really do want to learn about a company if they have a great product to offer. Thank you. Jonah, give you your 30 seconds rebuttal. Yeah, I mean, I... Definitely agree that customer service is also marketing. My point was there's a duality in approach, right? The, the the same the same. There should be more than one team. So you you have a team that's customer retention, customer success, uh, that's focused on on those those types of tasks, and then you have a team that's growth, right? So it's two. It's both are equally important. In fact, I would even say leaning back towards Avi, I would even say keeping your current customers even is more important 
than getting new mm-hmm. ones. So I think that the from a from a yes, co- companies should absolutely put as much effort as they can into customer service and and, and the retaining those and marketing to their existing customers. I just mean in terms of approach, there's a duality there. there there's two different there's two different lines. Thank you. And you know what? I'm going to move on to a different aspect of our topic, looking at Jonah Manning's notes. And Jonah, some interesting things here. I think we we haven't quite touched on this yet. We might have just skirted on it a little bit. You say the real drivers for millennial spend, meaning how do you get them to open their wallet to you, your products and your services? The real drivers are not predicated by price. And Jonah says, sure, millennials want a good deal, but there are other factors such as Social good, what is your company doing in the world? Product integrity, fair trade, organic, local, on-demand, products as a service, and more and more and more, and authenticity is in that mix. Jonah, why don't you tell us, can you prioritize this list, or are they all equally important to millennials like you and Avi? I just think, you know, it just depends on the product or service we're talking about, right? So if you're looking to get a mechanic work done on your car, that's going to be more along the product integrity and, and, and having a social context around buying from that mechanic. Not necessarily who's the cheapest oil change in town, but who's the one that, A, maybe they'll come to your work or, or they were referred by multiple friends, et cetera. Whereas in a situation where you're buying coffee, you may want to make sure that your coffee is coming from a fair trade environment you know, that's, that's fairly source and et cetera. So I think that, and that's, you know, and, and buying fair trade coffee is certainly um, going to be a lot more expensive per pound than what you would probably buy a, a you know, a, a major grocery store brand, but people are going to buy the fair trade because they know it comes with, uh, there, there's added value there in, in the purchasing of that product. So I think it's relative to the, to, to the, what we're actually spending on or the service, but nonetheless, I think in, in almost all cases, you'll find that millennials will opt towards the the sort of the product or service with a story around it versus mm-hmm. just the product or service that happens to be the lowest price. Product or service with a story around it. Very interesting. Avi, love to get your feedback on that. That was provocative, Jonah. So I, I, I have to disagree almost 100%. I'm going to disagree 95%. Um, I think that in certain circumstances, pricing will not be as much of a factor, but in even those circumstances, it really is. And let's use the example of the mechanic. Yes, a lot of people, if there's one mechanic that has a better reputation than the other, so a lot of people, and the, the one with the better reputation charges more. Um, a lot of people are going to pay that more, that extra $100, whatever it is, for that better mechanic. And the reason is, is people understand when they're buying a high-end good, and that's what a, a mechanic with a good reputation is, he's considered a high-end good, he's considered a high-end good or a high-end service. So people realize that they're paying more because they're being insured that, you know, they're having their starter fixed and it's not going to be broken again in two weeks, two months. It's, it's going to be fixed for good. So yeah, over there, people will, pricing will not be the number one factor, but like I said, it's not really that pricing isn't a consideration. It's the fact that I'm buying a higher-end good. So, yes, it falls into other considerations, which is how, how well is the product. But generally speaking, when people are talking about the same or similar product, 
um, they're going to usually go with their wallet and they're going to go with the cheaper price. And this, in my line of business with online retail, this is so, so important that you have to realize that a lot of people, in the end of the day, um, they're looking at the same price, especially with Google Shopping and all these other tools that are used for price comparison, you have to be price-oriented. You have to know that customers are looking for the best price, especially, you know, we Unbeatable Sales is now doing business with the government. The government is so, it's ironic, you would think something, an entity that sometimes can spend money frivolously, they are very, very attuned to pricing. So across the board, there are exceptions, but across the board, you if you're doing a business, you have to be in tune to the fact that the customer is going to take pricing almost, not all times, but in almost all situations, it is going to be a very, very important factor. And by the way, that's the reason, just so you know, for example, Many goods, I think it's like 60% from what I've seen, 60% of goods in America are actually manufactured in China. Now, China, you know, over there, they they don't have the same guarantees for workers that they do in America. They also don't have unions. The reason people don't make it in America is because it's much more expensive to make the good there. And what they realize is, is that, you know, a customer who may feel very, very opposed to the work habits in the, or the work environment in China, they're still going to buy that good manufactured in China because it's, it's, much, it's much cheaper. So I think pricing, you just, it's, it's just too important of a factor to not take it seriously. Yes, there are exceptions, but across the board, when you make your company and you design your company, you have to have pricing as a huge factor um, for customers. Okay, boy, this was lively. I love it. Jonah Manning, talk back. Yeah, so let's look at a category like dog food. So you, you have dog food made in China. You have dog food made in the U.S. You have dog food that is high-end, organic, um, and you know far and away more expensive than the mainstream dog food that you can buy at a, at a local grocery store. Um, those categories, by and large, are growing exponentially faster than the standard store-bought um, uh, pet food brand. Now, do I agree that if you, let's say you're buying one particular type of dog food, and that's the type of dog food you, you, um, you're buying, and Amazon has it at one price point, and you know, maybe another store has another price point. Okay, sure, because you're buying a specific product sure, you're going to buy for cheaper. But your decision-making and buying that product to begin with, there's a lot that, go in, that, that goes into it that's beyond just, here, let me find the cheapest dog food I can for my dog. I would challenge that majority of people, especially millennials, do not think that way. Uh, v? Yeah, that's uh, today's generation. A lot of people look at their dog as it's almost equivalent to their child. Whether you agree or disagree, there are a lot of people that put a lot of value into their dog, and they want their dog to have the the best food possible. And so, yeah, they they go into the marketing. They hear that you know with marketing that oh, the organic's better. So yes, like I said, there are exceptions. But when you make your company, and even if you're selling dog food you have to have pricing as a consideration. So you're right. 
there are a lot of people that view their dog as a very, very important thing in their life, and they will spend more on their dog because it's like a second child, third child, however you want to uh, analogize it. But across the board, especially in the business that I deal with, which is products, across the board, I think people have to be very price-orientated. And by the way, if, if what I was saying isn't true, Google Shopping would not have the effect that it has on the online retail market. Price comparison sites would not have the effect that they have if what I was saying wasn't generally true. Jonah? Okay. I think we're, we're talking about two separate things here. So if you're okay. buying, so if you know you want a pair of Nike tennis shoes and they're a certain type of shoe and you're looking on, uh, online to buy a certain type of shoe, that's where price comparison comes in. But your, but your thought process, your decision-making, and selecting that Nike shoe is what I'm referring to. So we're talking about two separate things here. And, if, and I, I would ask, you know, what service category you're, talking, you're referring to that you think price is the driver? Because in the millennial space, I can tell you inside of food, services, medical, uh, uh, pretty much every major spin category you can think of, at least from a personal expense perspective, by and large, um, have a major effect from buying, again, with products, services, with a story. They have an added value given to it. It's not driven on price. Now, I'm not saying that we're avoiding having a good deal, and I'm not saying we're, we're spending just to spend. My point is, if you look at the services that are accelerating uh, across the country, you look at the, the, the food package services um, that are are boxing pre-made meals and delivering to our doorsteps. If you look at the price per component of the, of per plate, it's far and away more expensive than, than what we would buy in a grocery store if you did it all on your own, but there's a service component to it. So it, it saves us time and it, it, and it adds value to our lives. So, so we're buying it in droves. You look at um, most on-demand shipping services, you're, you're not saving that much money, but you're doing it because it's convenient. Now I agree that if you're buying a, you know, a basic item that, you know, you're buying an umbrella. Okay, fine. You're, yes, I agree. An umbrella, you're going to buy the cheapest umbrella, unless for some reason an umbrella is super important to you. But other than that, I think anything that's commodity and, and anything that we're buying on an ongoing basis, I think we're buying based on the story around the product, the added value it brings, and, and it's not predicated on price. Avi, one last thought on this before I move on? Well, if I only have one, I have two thoughts, but if I only have one thought, I'll just tell you that basically, um, Jonah, I don't know how much you make on a a weekly basis, and I'm not asking you to to reveal that, but the average American um, struggles from paycheck to paycheck, week to week, and therefore, yes, a lot of times they might want to start off with that organic food, that healthier brand food, but then they think, oh, gee, I have a car bill to pay, I have insurance to pay. You know what? That non-organic food is looking pretty good after all. So I think in the end of the day, yes, if, if America was well, uh, if the average American was wealthier than they actually are today, so I think then what you're saying might have more of a bearing. But I, I really just believe that a lot of people work from paycheck to paycheck, and they might start off wanting to buy organic, and once they see mm. how much organic costs in comparison to non-organic, they think about the mortgage that they have to pay, and they go with the non-organic. 
Okay, guys, I'm going to interject something here. I just looked up why are millennials buying or not buying. Forbes Entrepreneurs section had an article on December 29, 2014, a little more than a year and a half ago, almost 90,000 views. The topic was 2015 is the year of the millennial customer. Five key traits these 80 million consumers share. And if I can scroll down fast enough, I'll read you a couple of those. I think you'll be intrigued. Number one, millennials expect technology to simply work, so you'd better make sure that it does. Number two, millennials are a social generation. They socialize while consuming and deciding whether to consume your products and services. Number three is, let me see if I can get this. I found number four really fast here. Number three, they collaborate and cooperate with each other and when possible with brands. Millennials have a positive, community-oriented, we-can-fix-it-together mindset. They want everyone to get along and think everyone should be able to. Okay, number four, millennials are looking for adventure and whatever comes their way. And number five, they're passionate about values, including the values of the companies they do business with. Jonah, thoughts on these? Anything uh, surprise in this? I hmm? didn't hear price. I didn't hear I didn't price, need... not one. Didn't either. Avi, anything? Uh, I wasn't doing this to rebut you, Avi. I was just reading this right off, first time I've seen this. Any thoughts on that, Avi? Any of the qualifications they, they shared? Well, I think that in the end of the day, that uh, a thousand percent, they want. You, you mentioned one thing that stuck in my mind. They expect technology to work, and so the reason, and I think that implies that they will buy something that's either if they, as long as they expect it to work, they'll buy something cheaper because they know with a lot of companies, if it doesn't work, I'm going to return it. So if they buy something that's cheaper, they always know that okay, if it's cheaper, it might not work, but it might work. So. As long as it works, it's good for me. So I'll buy this cheaper thing because I know that I can always return it if it doesn't work. But yes, the, the, you could also learn. You could also look at it that that in the, these cases that you mentioned, people do make price a second or a third factor in their decision making. As I said before, it's not always the number one decision maker, but across the board, when a company is structuring how they're going to sell their pricing, how they're going to market it they have to keep in mind that pricing is an important factor. So there are other factors, which you just mentioned, that are also important. But pricing, I think, is a very important factor. Or maybe the only way I would think that I'm wrong is if all of a sudden it turns out that millennials are much wealthier than everyone else, and they just have all the money in the world to spend. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to move this in a slightly different direction and talk about what if, when the millennials are the business owners, the product producers, the ones who are doing the selling and the marketing, trying to get other millennials and other generations involved in purchasing what they're selling, what they're marketing. So here's a comment from uh, Jonah Manning. He says millennials are simultaneously hyper local and hyper global and here's a little story Jonah says The cool bass player guy at a local bar in Brooklyn back in 2003 is likely the cool guy in a local bar in Brooklyn in 2016 who owns a small batch pickle company. Talk to me. Jonah, tell me, who is this guy? Do we know him? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I talked to, I was talking to a founder of a, of a very prominent, um, online food purveyor, uh, based in New York. And he gave me that story and always just stuck in my head. And I think it's so true today that, you know, if you look at uh, the regional artisan food play, artisanal food play, I should say, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's emerging. You see great 
pockets in LA, you see great pockets in, 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 in Brooklyn. And it's not even just the US thing. You see it in London. You see it um, both in the both in the local restaurant scene, the merging of the restaurant scene, and also just in the food products alone. Um, so it obviously it's ha- this is also happening in other categories of, of, of consumer. It's just really easily visible in food. Interesting. Avi, any thoughts on that? You know, it's funny, when you were reading that quote, I just, uh, my mind randomly went back. I remember, um, you know, the the thing, the joke that when I was in high school, people used to make is always be nice to the nerdy kids uh, and because they're eventually going to be the CEOs of the company. So in my mind, I just heard, and which there is some truth to, you know, the kids in my school, at least, I can't speak across the boards on this, but when I went to public school in uh, high school East, you know, a lot of times, those, uh, I looked it up on Facebook, too, a lot of the kids who were known to be nerdy ended up, you know, having their own company because they were nerds in school because they tried hard in, in their studies which wasn't a cool thing in school. So that stuck into my mind when you read that quote um, and kind of like drifted into that idea. But yeah, there's, there's, if a person just on that same thing, if a person's a charismatic guy in high school, he's going to bring that talent to the workforce with him as well. So, you know, it's not across the board. The reality is, is every person has a talent. Um, and this isn't a millennial thing. This is across the board. Every person has a talent, and they have they start showing it from a very young age. And if they develop it, of course, they're going to bring that into the workforce. It goes back to what Jonah's quote was, which is that look in the mirror and see whatever you want to be doing, do that. So mm-hmm. usually a person has a talent, and they that means that's something they enjoy. So they should do that. If a guy likes socializing. I'm just using an example. They like socializing, so they were the social um, creature in high school. Yeah, let them own a bar in, in Brooklyn, New York, because so, they can socialize with their guests, and that's an, a very important factor in be, running a successful bar, I think. So that's what came to my mind when you said that quote. Thank you very much. And I want to bring in one more thought here. We're almost ready for our predictions, crystal ball predictions round here. And I can't wait for that. But I want to bring in one more thought here. This is also from Jonah's notes. Jonah says, if you're a 50-year-old company producing a commodity product, how do you sell to millennials? And Jonah answers that. Believe it or not, our, meaning millennials, grandparents and great-grandparents have more in common with millennials than anyone else. If your products or services have a nostalgia factor, you might have thought you had to sell against it or ignore it or play it down in years past. With millennials, you can embrace it. Vintage, vintage, vintage. How important is this to millennials? Jonah? Again, it goes back to products with a story. And, you know, the, the 50-year-old linens company, the the 125 year old, uh, uh, you know, meat company, the, that's went down multiple generations. That is vastly, uh, appealing to us as a, as a generation. And I think, you know, if you, if you look, if you look at the way our grandparents used to have to sell, so, you know, you're, you run a butcher shop and you know, you know that you better, you know, put that, that ham hock behind the counter for, you know, uh, uh, the lady that comes in every Tuesday that she makes split speed soup with it. Um, and if you don't, you make her upset. Now she's going to go back to the PTA and you're done. Right. And it's one of those things where like that, that kind of environment, that kind of hand selling, that kind of customer service approach, that is, that is the business we live in today. The only difference is our small town isn't predicated on geography. It's predicated on our social network, our social graph. So, that that person could be someone 
as easily across the country or across the world, but they still have the same impact to our business. And they expect that same kind of uh, one-to-one uh, customer experience. And that's the reason I think that the, the, the old world approach to customer service uh, is exactly the way that uh, businesses now should be running. You know what? I just came up with a thought, Jonah and Avi. I think I'm really a millennial at heart who was just born too early. They just call me a boomer, but I, I think I was really born too early because I agree with everything you're talking about. And that may go to your remark, Jonah, in your notes that millennials have most in common with their grandparents and great-grandparents. Well, I could be probably your grandma, so maybe maybe that's just really appropriate. Avi, any quick comments on that before we go quickly into the crystal um, ball segment? I'm starting to question if me and Jonah are millennials, and I see it very differently than him. I think millennials, or at least by myself, everyone likes what the newest and the latest thing. Yes, there are certain products that cross over time, but on the general scheme, I think millennials go for, I like new. What's new? This is five years old. I'm already bored of it. People like new, the latest technology, the newest thing, and so I think they'll choose that usually, not all the time, but usually over some, uh, over a lot of products that have been around for uh, a long period of time. Thank you very much, Avi. I'm going to give you first honors here in the crystal ball prediction segment. We've got four minutes left. Let's use it well. Avi Solomon, UnbeatableSales.com. Talk to me. I'll give you, let's go on the books one minute. You know, Avi, I love the year 2020, which is hurtling toward us very quickly. No longer very far away, but how far into the future can you look and tell me what will be different about millennials and technology as millennials and technology get older? What do you think, Avi? You know, I think that, uh, this is a very hard one for me, but in the end of the day, I think that it's going to be exactly what I just said previously, which is that they're constantly going to focus on wanting new things and the latest things. And going back to the original thing I did discuss, I think one th- technology will still be, in the future, technology will be just as important as it is today, and there will constantly be a push to progress it. I think social media, though, will lose some of its strength um, in, mm. let's say, five, ten years. You already see that with Facebook, that there's a disgruntled, um, rebellious group within Facebook that are, are, are not as happy with it. So I think social media will lose some of its strength. Technology will only grow stronger with millennials in the next five, ten years. Wow, very interesting. Good observation. And Jonah Manning, I can give you a minute as well, and then we might even have time for a bonus round. Go ahead, Jonah. I think if we feel like millennials have been disruptive, just wait till we see what the next generation does. And if you want to have any idea of what that's going to be like, just watch your kids. Watch what they're not watching. Watch how they're working. I mean, you know, kids, kids watch YouTube more than they watch any kind of mainstream cartoon. And it's, I mean, there's, there's, there's a product called Twitch. It's a, it's a video game, like a video game site where people can play video games and people can watch other people play video games. Yes, this is a thing. And it, Literally on a Saturday, there could be millions. When I say millions, I mean Super Bowl level numbers of millions of, pe- of, of, of kids around the world tuning in live to watch some other kid play a video game. Um, that's the, so all, everything that we think of right now and everything that we're talking about, it's going to be out the window again in the next uh, you know, four to ten years. So um, my encouragement is get up to speed as quickly as possible because we're about to all be in the same boat again. <laughs> 
And you know there's a very famous French quote, Jonah. You may not be aware of it. Uh, I'll do my best to put on the right accent. It's plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Have you ever heard of that one? I have, and and yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. I'm going to give you each uh, one sentence to finish off before I... Oh, no, you know what? We're out of time. We have a minute. I was, I was hoping we could stretch this. Avi Solomon, UnbeatableSales.com, Jonah Manning, People Ops Consulting. This has been very, very interesting having the two of you. Didn't know it would turn into a debate, but I thought it was a great one. We love strong opinions and strong speakers, so you certainly both measured up, and I appreciate that very much. A shout-out to our series sponsor again, Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba, and Gail Daikoku, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, has been tweeting as well. Thank you very much, Gail. Thank you very much, Jeannie. Gail tweets under the handle. G-A-L-E, Gail D-B, and there she is, and Jeannie Trin under J-E-A-N-N-E underscore T-R-I-N-H, and I'm tweeting as hashtag and handle SAP Radio. Spell it any way you want. It's still SAP Radio. Put an at sign or put a, put a hashtag, and it's just the same, and we'll see it. Love to have you get a, let us know what you thought about this show today. Ready or not, millennials in technology are revolutionizing business. I think we all agree on that, Avi and Jonah. Thank you both. Wishing you all the best. Shout out to our engineer, Michael, at the Business Channel. He is healing from a broken ankle. Surgery and metal plates and crutches and canes and all that good stuff. Michael, glad to have you back and hope they gave you a chair to sit on today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today and heads up tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. 11 a.m. Eastern here on the Business Channel. I'll be talking to three women attorneys who specialize in business advice. This is stuff you don't want to miss, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you know one. Signing off for now. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.